Well, hey there, it's great to be with you today. Uh, for many of you, I'm probably a new face. My name is Joshua, I'm an intern here at King's. I do a lot of youth work and alpha and some social media stuff and some comm stuff. Uh, and today I get to join you in preaching, which is gonna be fun. And we're gonna continue our I Am series, looking at the I Am statements that Jesus makes throughout the Gospel of John. And we're gonna be looking at when Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. We're going to read that passage in a second and what you'll see is that by the time that Jesus is done talking, the crowd are totally divided. On the one hand, you've got those who are saying, we believe who Jesus says he is. We believe that he is God. And then on the other hand, you've got those who are outraged by what Jesus said. They are fuming with Jesus. Like if you've ever been to a football match and you've seen a referee make a bad decision and then had the insults and accusations made towards the ref. Or if you've been stuck in the car with someone who's maybe got some road rage and they're stuck behind a bad driver. And again, you hear their strength of reaction, the insults and accusations they make towards that person. That's the kind of tone and strength of reaction I imagine this crowd was having towards Jesus. And at first I read it and I thought, it seems like a bit of an overreaction to me. Maybe they just misunderstood him. And I'm sure that's happened to you before as well. Maybe you've texted someone or something and they've got your message and they've massively overreacted and you thought, whoa, whoa, just chill out. You've misunderstood what I'm trying to say. That's an overreaction. But I don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think the crowd overreact at all. In fact, I think they understand Jesus perfectly well and I don't think Jesus would have been surprised by the way that the crowd reacted because the claims that he is making are outrageous. He is a man standing before them claiming to be God. Not only is he claiming to be God, but he is revealing God's heart and nature in the most astonishing and mind-blowing way. And so I think the crowd's reaction is fully justified. And that's not to say that I agree with the crowd. I don't think Jesus is mad or crazy. I believe that Jesus is God. But what I am saying is I think it is a far more appropriate way to react to what Jesus is saying than just to sit here unaffected, thinking this is some nice passage about how Jesus likes sheep. That's not what he's saying. And so today we're gonna to look at three claims that he makes throughout the passage. And I think really we've got to react like the crowd. We can't just remain neutral. We've either got to say, I think Jesus is insane. I think he's a nutter and I don't believe a word of what he said. Or to say, actually, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe the things that he said are true and that not only are they true, but really they are so good and so beautiful that he is worthy of our worship today. And so that's where we're going. Uh, let's read the passage together now and see how we're going to get there. We're going to be in John chapter 10, verse 11 to 21, continuing right from where Charles left off last week. And so starting at verse 11, this is what Jesus says. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And then this is where we start today. He says that the Jews who heard these words were again divided. 
Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so the first claim that we see Jesus making is that he is the shepherd who cares. It's basically the first thing that he does is to distinguish himself, the good shepherd who cares for the sheep, from the hired hands who don't care for the sheep at all. And just so you can see what I'm talking about, let's quickly take a look at that again in the passage. It's verses 12 and 13. This is what he says. He says, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You're probably thinking, well, what's a hired hand? And I had the same question. Essentially, a hired hand is someone who would watch over the sheep in the absence of the shepherd. Really, they're very similar to the shepherd. They probably walked the same, dressed the same, acted the same, looked the same. You get the picture. You probably could have mistaken the hired hand for the shepherd. But there is one key difference, which is this. The hired hand, he does not own the sheep. The sheep do not belong to the hired hand. And so the hired hand, he cares nothing for the sheep. Essentially, a hired hand is a counterfeit shepherd. It's like it's a cheap knockoff version of the good shepherd. And if you've ever bought or owned something that's counterfeit before, you'll know what happens to it. It's essentially, it appears good at first. It appears to look like the real thing on the surface, but actually what's revealed is that underneath they're nothing alike. For example, back when I was in school, some mates of mine went through this phase of buying these counterfeit shoes because the real shoes that they wanted, they couldn't afford. And so what would they do? They'd go onto these websites and they would buy these counterfeit shoes at a fraction of the price. And at first, uh, to be fair, the, these shoes, they looked decent. They looked pretty similar to the real thing. But the problem wasn't what these shoes looked like at first. It was what happened in a few weeks' time. Uh, because they wear them for a couple of weeks and then suddenly the stitches start falling out. And then, <clears throat> sorry, it rains a week later and the soles kind of start falling off because they're probably glued on with a prick stick or something. And basically, after a month or two, the, the shoes, they're completely falling apart because that's what happens to counterfeit stuff. At first, it appears to look like the real thing, but the reality is they're nothing alike. It's nothing like the real thing. That's what Jesus is saying these hired hands are like. saying they might appear similar to the good shepherd. They might look like the good shepherd. The reality is they're nothing alike because to the good shepherd, you're worth everything. To the hired hand, you're worth nothing. They don't care for you. Jesus is calling out the Jewish leaders. He's calling out these people called the Pharisees. And this is what he's saying to them. He's saying, you're like hired hands. These people in leadership positions, but you don't care for anyone else but yourself. You're only in this for your own benefit. You've only got your own best interests at heart. You don't care for the people you're supposed to be looking after. You're a bad leader. Let us not be fooled into thinking that because Jesus is talking 2,000 years ago to this Jewish community that what he says doesn't apply to us today. It still applies to us today. If anything, the situation we're in is far worse than they were in because we have surrounded ourselves with people who we've placed on pedestals, who are kind of idolized and followed and people try to mimic them and live lives just like them. And the reality is most of them are just hired hands. It's people like so many politicians and celebrities, TV and sports personalities, social media influencers. And so many of them, they're just in it for their own benefit. They don't care for anyone except for themselves. They're just hired hands. That's what Jesus is saying. They're hired hands. He's saying, I am no hired hand. I'm different to them. 
and he draws a contrast between them. He's saying, these hired hands, they, they would disregard you straight away for their own benefit. He says, I'm not like that. I would disregard myself for your benefit. So these hired hands, they would abandon you so that they could have abundant life. Jesus is the opposite. He says, I wouldn't abandon you so that I could have abundant life. I would abandon my life so that you can have abundant life. It's what Charles talked about last week, is following Jesus for abundant life. It's what he says, I will abandon my life so that you can have abundant life. I would lay my life down for the sheep. That's how much I care for them. So that's the first thing that we see in Jesus. He is the shepherd who cares. And then after that, he goes on and I think really he reveals himself as the shepherd who knows and who wants to be known. And so let's go back to the passage and see what it says. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And so Jesus goes on to reveal himself as the shepherd who knows and who wants to be known. I think both of those statements are equally amazing. Not only that you are known by God, the God who created the universe, who placed the stars in the sky, who created life, that he says, I know you and I see you. And that's just amazing to me. But on the flip side of that, he also says, I want you to know me. I'm not just going to know who you are and see you and then keep myself invisible and hidden. He says, no, no, I want you to know me. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I want you to come and know who I am. I want your life to be transformed and shaped and changed by knowing me. And when Jesus is talking about knowing, he's not talking about some vague, distant kind of knowing. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a deeply personal and intimate kind of knowing. In the same way that a shepherd knows their sheep and the sheep know the shepherd. In that analogy, it might be lost on us slightly, but let me explain it to you like this. On the screen right now, you'll see a picture of my bike. And all of you who have seen that picture could now describe that bike to me, probably. You could tell me the bike's red. You could tell me that it's got two wheels. You could tell me that the bike's got handlebars. You could go into way more detail than that. You could study the picture for hours and hours and describe this bike to me. And so in one sense, you'd say, okay, you know the bike. But it's very different from how I know the bike. It's a, it's a very different kind of knowledge because not only have I seen this bike, but I've rode this bike, I've experienced this bike. I could tell you things that you could never tell me just from this picture. I can tell you that when you're riding this bike, the brakes on it aren't great, so you want to brake way in advance of where you're actually trying to stop. I can tell you that when you're riding this bike, it might appear to have several gears, but actually only one of those gears works. So you want to make sure that the gear lever stays in the right place, otherwise the chain's going to fall off and then you would probably fall off. You see, you're probably thinking it doesn't sound like a good bike and that's true, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that there is a massive difference between knowing this bike from just seeing a picture of it and knowing this bike from actually having experienced it. I have a deeper level of knowledge of this bike and it actually changes the way that I interact with this bike. And that's how Jesus wants you to know him not just from a distance, not with a, a vague kind of knowledge so that you can quote a couple Bible verses about him, say a couple things about him. That's not how Jesus wants you to know him. He's inviting you to know him personally, deeply, intimately, in a way that is going to shape and change and transform your life. Jesus wants you to know him in a way where you're inviting him to every area of your life and that he is changing your life. He is transforming your heart through how you know him. So that's how Jesus wants us to know him 
But not only does he say he wants us to know him, he says, I know you. I see you. And like I said, that's amazing to me. To think, oh my word, the God of the universe knows me. The one who is seated in heavenly places, who's praised and worshipped by angels day and night. He says, I see you and I know you. And I think, wow, that's amazing. But then I also think, oh wait, oh, he, he knows me. That means he doesn't just know the number of hairs on my head. That means he, he knows every sin that I've ever committed. Things that I'm ashamed about and embarrassed about. Things that I would never want anyone to know. Jesus says, yeah, I know that as well. I know you in every detail. And it's, it's not just the things that I've said and done. It's the things I've thought. It's the desires I've had in my heart. And yet he still chose me. He, he still looked at me and my sin and my brokenness and said, I, I still want you. you. You must come to me. I want you to be mine. And I remember that being something that actually I struggled with a little bit. After a season in my life of having walked away from God and then coming back to him, I remember just struggling with this concept, thinking, God, how could you want me after the things I've done? I wouldn't even want me after the things I know I've done. Why would you want me? And yet Jesus would say, I want you. I've chosen you to be mine. You must come to me. And if you're a Christian today, then the same is true for you. Jesus sees the things that you're embarrassed about and ashamed about. He sees the sins you've committed. But he says, I want you to be mine. Come, come to me. Don't, not, don't put a barrier up between us because of the sin you've committed. My, my love covers over all of that. And that's his invite to you if you're a non-Christian as well. Yeah, I see the sins that you've done. The things that you think no one saw. Things you're embarrassed about and ashamed about. I've seen them. But Jesus would say, don't let that stop you from coming to me. He, he doesn't take your sin lightly. It, it pains him that you sinned against him. He sent his son to die to deal with it. But Jesus' love has, is covered over all of it. And he's inviting you to know him. To have your life changed and transformed by him. And so he's the shepherd who knows and who wants to be known. And finally, Jesus is the shepherd who dies. He's the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. It's, it's the first thing he says. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He then goes on later in the passage to describe the manner in which he would lay down his life. And this is what he says. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. See, what Jesus wants you to know is that when he lays his life down, he does so freely. He doesn't do it because he was told you must do this and he didn't have a say in the matter. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He doesn't struggle against it or resist it. He doesn't die because he was overpowered or defeated. Jesus dies because he freely chose to die for you. And it is so vital to our understanding of the cross and our understanding of what Jesus did and who Jesus is to know that when he died, he died for you freely. He willingly died for you. Because how much more meaningful is something when we know that it's been given to us freely as a gift? Like if it was your birthday and someone came up to you and went, happy birthday, uh, here's a present. I don't particularly think you've earned it. I don't think you deserve it. But I've been told that I have to do this. And so here you go, happy birthday. Whatever they've given you, the present doesn't seem like it's going to be worth so much anymore. Or as if someone was to come up to you and say, hey, happy birthday, you're a great friend, I love you, here's something that I wanted you to have, and hands you over a present. Whatever they give you, even if it's not a great present, it's suddenly worth so much more because it's been given to you freely. You can see on their face they've given it to you eagerly, they've given it to you joyfully. That's exactly how Jesus lays down his life for you. He doesn't do it begrudgingly, he wasn't forced to do it. 
Jesus freely lays his life down for you. You could even say eagerly and joyfully, Jesus lays down his life for you. So the image that Jesus has given us of a shepherd who dies for a sheep, it's not of a shepherd who, you know, kind of went out to face the wolf in order to save the sheep and kind of hoping he would win the fight, but not too sure, wasn't strong enough to win the fight. And so he got overpowered and died in the process. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's more like a shepherd who needs to save the sheep because he loves them so deeply. And as he sees the wolf on the horizon and he's walking out to meet the wolf, he already knows as he's going to meet the wolf that in order to defeat this wolf, the, the only possible way to win this fight is to lay down his life in the process. It's not because he's not strong enough or not powerful enough. It's just the only way this wolf can be defeated is through the laying down of the shepherd's life. And as the shepherd's walking out to meet the wolf, he already knows that. He already knows this is the fight that he's not going to walk away from. He's going to have to lay down his life if he wants to save the sheep. And in some senses, it's a beautiful image. But at the same time, there's part of me which thinks, that's just stupid. It's like, it doesn't make sense. That's not the logical thing to do. It doesn't make sense for a shepherd to die for his sheep. Maybe it's just because I'm, I'm not a massive fan of animals, but I think whoever you are, you, you'd probably say, it doesn't make sense for a shepherd to die for the sheep. That's not the logical thing to do. It doesn't make sense. How much must this shepherd love these dirty, stupid, unintelligent animals that he would lay down his life for them? That's not logical. Why doesn't he just replace them or, or get some new ones? Do, do whatever you've got to do, but dying for them, that's the last thing that makes sense to do. But that's the point of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, that's the way I love you. It's a love that doesn't make sense. It's a love that surpasses knowledge, which is beyond what your mind can comprehend. It's what happened when Jesus died for us. It's not the logical thing. It's not logical that the God who created everything created planets and stars and galaxies and angels, the God who's enthroned in heaven and worshipped day and night. It doesn't make sense that he would die for the very people that he created. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus died for us because his love for us was so deep. And it doesn't always make sense. That's who Jesus says he is. He says, I'm like the shepherd who dies for my sheep. I love them so much that at times it might even seem foolish. It might be beyond what you can understand, but that is how much I love my sheep. So he's the shepherd who dies. But if the story ended there, it would be a pretty tragic ending to the story, really. Because if the shepherd's dead, then the wolf might have been defeated, but the sheep are left without a shepherd. And the sheep are stupid, so even with, without the threat of the wolf, the sheep are going to die anyway. They're killed themselves. So it's a tragic ending for everyone. The wolf's dead, the shepherd's dead, the sheep are going to die anyway. But that's not how Jesus says the story ends. He doesn't just say, I have authority to lay my life down. He says, I have authority to take my life up again. It doesn't end in a draw. It doesn't end with one point to the wolf and one point to the shepherd. One point to Jesus and one point to the enemy. One point to life and one point to the death. That, that's not how the story ends. The story ends in victory. It ends in Jesus rising victorious from the grave, defeating sin and death and the enemy. It's not just a temporary victory. It's an eternal victory. Death has been defeated eternally. The enemy has been defeated eternally. Sin has been defeated eternally. What that means for the sheep is that they are eternally secure in the care and love and provision of the shepherd. The shepherd rose from the grave and he's there for the sheep for all eternity. If you belong to Jesus today, then you are eternally secure in his arms, in his love and his care and his providence and his protection. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, that's the reality for you today. That's what Jesus means when he says, I am the good shepherd. And so as we're coming to a close now, let, let's just recap what Jesus means when he says, I am the good shepherd. It means he's the one who cares. 
He's the one who knows and who wants to be known. And he's the one who dies and rises again. In all of it, I think what you can say is that Jesus is the shepherd who loves. And it's not just a love which is ordinary. It's a love which is beyond our understanding, simply beyond what your mind can comprehend. It's a love which at times can almost seem foolish. When I say Jesus' love can seem foolish, what I'm not saying is that Jesus himself is foolish. I'm saying his love is so radical that it can almost appear that way. Because his love is so vast and so deep and so pure that we cannot fully understand it. His love isn't in the slightest bit self-serving. Jesus doesn't consider what he could lose or gain by offering you his love. He simply offers it to you in the hope that you would love him in return. He doesn't offer his love in part. It is offered wholly and without reservation. His love isn't earned or deserved through righteous acts. His heart isn't won over. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Jesus freely gives his love to those who are unqualified and undeserving. It's the kind of love that loves you, not just when you're a child of God, but when you're an enemy of God. It's the kind of love that loves you, not just when you love him back, but when you hated him. It's a love that is heartbroken when we reject it or turn our back on it, but is offered to us again and again and again. It's a love that is so deep that the Son of God left heaven to die the most painful and excruciating death on a cross so that you could be saved and come to know him. It's a love that has the power to change and transform lives. That's the kind of way that Jesus loves you. And right now we've got to choose how we're going to respond to that. Are we going to be like those in the crowd who say, I don't believe a word of it. I don't think it's true. I think Jesus is insane. I think he's just some nutter. Or are we going to say, actually, I believe it's true. I believe that Jesus really does love me like that. And I'm going to choose to respond by worshipping him today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us as the good shepherd. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us as one who cares for us. One who knows us, knows us in every detail. Lord, and has forgiven us for everything we've ever done. And Lord, that you don't just keep yourself hidden, but you reveal yourself to us. You invite us to come and know you, to have our lives changed and transformed through knowing you. Jesus, we thank you that you died for us. Lord, that you defeated death, that you rose from the grave, Lord. And God, I just pray that as we see who you are, Lord, as you reveal your love to us, you would give us the power that we need to grasp it, Lord, to grasp how vast it is that you'll keep revealing your love to us in new ways and that ultimately our lives would be changed and transformed because of it. Amen.